Look, All Dogs Go to Heaven 2 was a big metaphor. In honor of the Walk of Shame, what movie do your friends give you shit about liking? I'm Matt Patches, and while the obvious answers might be Green Lantern and the Smurfs, I'm actually going to go with Darren Aronofsky's Pie, which I showed to friends in high school after watching it at film camp, and I was met with Jaws agape and a lot of WTFs and evil glaring. Hey, it's me, Dave with the 7, and okay, yeah, the first time I watched Bring It On, it was for the chicks, but the second through 12 times, it's because it's a better sports movie about race than Remember the Titans and Friday Night Lights, the movie. I'm David Ehrlich, and just out of respect for the people who've been listening to this show in one form or another for the past few years, I have to go with Transformers Dark of the Moon, which uh, in all of its dissociative dissociative editing ends with uh, some of the cleanest, most fluid, operatic, grand action in modern cinema. It's terrible. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine, too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's It's a podcast. podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode number 21 for April 29th, 2014. Katie is off preparing to get married she is not on this episode um but that doesn't ma- matter we can still have an all bro episode here and people seem to like it right david you have a new itunes review for us uh i do we have a, a lovely five star review uh which is the name of a uh, tribeca movie i just saw five star hey uh, from <laughs> from music man 99 who says i've been listening to y'all for about a year now on opkino and now here with the rebranding it's been great I can now hold a reasonably good opinion on current films without doing much work myself. Uh, anyway, I wanted to thank we all of you. We are the spark notes of uh, yes. uh, current movie. Dome. Anyway, I wanted to thank all of you, David Ehrlich, Dust Seven, Gonzalez, Katie Rich, and Matt Patches, who along with The Seven, I also follow on Republic City Dispatch, which for those of you who don't know is a show about Avatar, The Last Airbender. No, it's not. It's about, what's it called? The Legend of Korra. <laughs> Huh? The Legend, Legend of Korra. Yeah, there you go. This is me, <laughs> not the review talking now. Uh, great stuff, guys. Hope to hear this on the air soon enough. Well, oh, he got. Uh, he knew. He knew. <laughs> this person knew that we would read it. Well, thank also, you. The seven e. The seven e. The seven e. Well, thank you very much for listening and for the review, Music Man ninety nine. And we are uh, happy to do that work for you. Okay. What, what is this guy called? The David Fincher films uh, seven seven e. <laughs> So this week we get to see The Amazing Spider-Man 2, finally. Well, I mean, you guys all get to see it. Europe has been seeing it for a while. (laughs) After years of research, Dave gets to see this movie. Once again, I've caught up with Europe, and it only took me half a month. Um, 
But also in the comics, Spider-Man has recently been returned to Peter Parker. And this is going to take a long time for me to explain, so I'm going to abbreviate it as much as possible. There's a writer on Spider-Man called Dan Slott, and he took over around Amazing Spider-Man number 666 with the so-called Spider-Island story arc where everybody got turned into spider monsters and had spider powers for <laughs> a while. We should have told people to brace uh, hang themselves. Hang on, I'll be right back. Brace themselves <laughs> for geekiness here. But this does fan out into a broader, not-so-geeky conversation. Anyway, this, back this to does. Dave. <laughs> From um, issue number 666 to issue 700, which is when that run of Amazing Spider-Man stopped, Dan Slott sort of gave Peter Parker all the things he would need to live his perfect lifestyle. He was a scientist. He had a girlfriend. Aunt May got married to J. Jarrow Jameson's father. The comics are really different than the movies, guys. Don't worry too much about that. And then in issue 700, Dr. Octopus switched brains with Spider-Man <laughs> and then killed Peter Parker in Dr. Octopus's body thus becoming the superior Spider-Man, which was actually Dr. Octopus caught in Peter's body. And Dan Slott did the comics press and told everyone that Spider-Man was dead and this was it and he's not coming back. And everybody who read comics knew that that was bullshit. But because, you know, he pushed it so hard, the younger comics readers who aren't used to this whole death and revival thing actually took it seriously. And the other thing that made it really bold is they kept Spider-Man dead for about two years, basically up until Amazing Spider-Man 2 came out. And then just recently, there was the final issue, issue number 31 of the Superior Spider-Man, where Peter manages to wrest control of his body back from Doc Ock, and it reclaims the Spider-Man mantle. But basically for about an entire year, <laughs> definitely, in both the Ultimate... Uh, lines and the main lines peter parker was not spider-man in the ultimate line there's a little kid who's 13 he's a black mexican kid from brooklyn he's spider-man he's called mild morales but the point is it's not peter parker because peter parker's dead Dave, in that time the reason that i wanted you to bring this up um, i'm getting there no no i'm no. getting there, <laughs> I'm getting there. okay uh, I, you weeped when you read the final issue of this run of comic books i want to i, I did hit on that i uh, am i, I correct? wept I wept at a single panel, which is what happens is uh, the Green Goblin, Norman Osborn, has figured out that uh, Otto Octavius is trapped in Spider-Man's body. And because Otto Octavius is not the true Spider-Man and a weaker person of moral character, starts to take over the city by, you know, amassing all the gangs. And then Spider-Man gets his body back, but the Green Goblin doesn't know it. And Spider-Man is facing off against the Green Goblin. And the Green Goblin goes, you're going to die without pulling off your greatest accomplishment, Otto. And Spider-Man just says, at least I'll die without the dignity of having ever worn a man purse. And the Green Goblin just looks at him, his eyes narrow, and he says, you. And instantly you know that that is the Spider-Man we've been missing. We've been missing the quips. We've been missing the guy that acts <laughs> and always does the right thing. And we've been we've been seeing a superior Spider-Man in the way that he's using the uh, technology of a villain and the mentality of a villain to you know rein in organized crime but what we need in a spider-man is this quippy person who knows what great power and great responsibility means and so for a comic reader this being drawn out over two years you really feel the absence of the character that you loved and then to just bring it back and to be able to sum it up in one page worth of like four panels and maybe three lines of dialogue was such a powerful moment. I don't think it would be as powerful if you just sat down and read issue 666 up through some, 
Superior Spider-Man number 31. But as this arc takes place over a year, I was suddenly, as a comics reader and somebody plugged into this story, Spider-Man was so clearly defined because he had been absent for so long that I didn't even miss that all it would take is one quip at the right point and everybody would know that Peter Parker was back. Does this happen in other mediums? I feel like comics especially can get away with this because of how they can play with form, the visual form and um, the amount of time that they have. I guess television probably can do this more easily than film. I, I've been struggling trying to come up with film um, films that accomplish this feeling of absence and then return or there's the feeling that a character is haunting screen the entire time with ever actually being there. I guess that kind of happens in the big chill. Um, and I was thinking about psycho, uh, you know, halfway through, we see this vicious murder and we'll, we'll always remember that throughout the rest of the film, but I don't know if this happens a lot in other mediums. I mean, I, it's interesting just defining a character through his absence doesn't always have to be absence. It just has to be, defining a character while that character isn't you know doing a sort of forward action or emotion so in a certain extent like things like the man with no name is also what we're looking at where you know it, instead of you're judging a character by his actions instead of by the absence of actions you're expecting would that make any sort of sense or is that too broad that's a real question <laughs> um david uh i'm I think. I mean, I think that it's an effective way of doing things. Obviously, the, uh, the fact that a movie is typically a self-contained story makes it. I mean, this is one of the advantages of serialized storytelling. I think it's obviously a lot more endemic to uh, graphic novels uh, or comic books, as uh, the haters say, <laughs> and uh, and television. But I mean, they're definitely. And then, like the first example that jumped to mind for some reason, and I don't even think it's a particularly uh, relevant example is actually in The Best of Youth, which is um, Marco Giulio Giordano, whatever the fuck his name is, the Italian <laughs> the Italian uh, film, which is actually was designed for Italian television. It's six hours long. It takes place in two parts. There's a character who dies and then comes back um, as sort of this specter in one very, very powerful scene towards the end. Uh, and it's not really at all uh, what we're talking about because – it does sort of define his character via absence, but again, I mean, it's difficult. It's difficult in uh, a 90 minute or 120 minute film to do, but I, uh, I'm sure it's, it's been done. I'm sure it's been done in films that uh, we've all seen. Uh, but at the say, same I time, guess, I'm, I'm happy in, uh... that I'm happy that to hear, you know, when serialized forms like gra uh, graphic novels to actually take advantage of what makes them different. Um, it's, from it's, every other uh, medium. hard to imagine this um, now, but I'm sure the feeling of seeing Alec Guinness return as Obi-Wan in, I guess it's Empire Strikes... No, uh, Return of the Jedi? Do we see him reappear at the but end? But again, it's a dies? serialized like, it's thing. Kind of thing. Yeah, no, that's what yeah, I mean. Yeah. Uh, at, at a certain point, a film has to be franchised. Um, but there's elegant ways of doing it, too. I, again, I don't know if a lot of movie franchises bring back characters or at well, least you know, it's the ones, Star that, Wars ones that seem and... to haunt the picture throughout right i mean I, it's like you know yeah. the same the, the gandalf i mean the uh, obi-wan of lord of the rings is <laughs> gandalf and you know the same thing happens with him there um i think you could probably trace this device all the way back to the bible um but <laughs> i guess the way the way they it brought seems, him back <laughs> the way it seems interesting to me uh going forward i guess with the future of franchise storytelling 
is like it, this might be a way to smooth out the transition between uh, contract actors. So like if Robert Downey Jr. stops being Iron Man and we let somebody else be Iron Man when somebody steps in and is capable of embodying Tony Stark, the character, we might accept it more if it's properly defined in its absence maybe but they would just hand off the baton what do you what do you mean i mean it's not this it can't be the same thing at all because uh, in the spider-man book that you're talking about it's all just the same looking spider-man right so doc ock inhabits peter parker's body like nothing that extreme or crazy would ever happen in a movie uh, well i mean nothing would last long enough for to allow that kind of with uh, something plotting. like the Winter Soldier storyline, though, that's it could be exactly what they end up doing, is let someone else who's lesser be Captain America for a while, right. and then negotiate with Chris Evans, or just have another blonde, burly guy come in and say he's Steve Rogers, and have everybody treat him like Steve Rogers. Well, that it's, leads to a more, uh, to a broader, and, I mean, to my, it's more... I don't know, more encompassing conversation at the very James least. Bond. Oh my god, James Bond is the example, guys. No, it's yeah. not because they're not actually filling each other's shoes. There's no plotting to it suggest why actors take over. Well, right? I understand I was, what he's saying with there. like with uh, the Daniel Craig James Bonds. They made a very concerted effort, especially with uh, actually with both Casino Royale and Skyfall, to say like this is James Bond. He is back. Uh, we're returning him to his roots, and like this is the the prototype, the character that we've been. Missing, but I think that like the logical extension of this conversation um, is going to play out in a very public sphere uh, in the next few years when these film franchises, especially the Marvel universe, have to begin employing because of contracts and, and other things uh, devices that are more often seen in graphic novels, and it'll be interesting to see how they translate to the screen and if audiences who are not uh, sort of accustomed to the devices of graphic novels can can handle it and can follow it um, Dave, this is actually to. what i've been thinking about the spider-man movies because one day andrew garfield will be 40 years old and i'm pretty sure that's in like 10 years so within <laughs> the amazing spider-man franchise timeline and i imagine this is the opportunity to hand it off to miles morales the black spider-man that everyone was campaigning for in the for the first movie so you may i mean your, yes, you may get your wish someday if you go with the blue and red it would make more sense to go with spider-man 2099 <laughs> and bring time travel into it and then you know things could be better oh yeah i can't fucking wait for that i mean i think maybe uh days of future past the new x-men movie will be an interesting test because it sounds as if it goes into some of these uh more outlandish directions um and i wonder if audiences like myself who who sort of scoff at uh I don't, know, I don't know. We don't. We don't really follow comic books, and and like don't want to hear about all these people being replaced and timelines and whatever. And we just want a good story that has some weight behind it. And these superhero movies are going to be able to jive with this. I think you should be looking forward to X Men Apocalypse because I think I don't X-Men even know what Days that is. Of, that's the one <laughs> that's after the Days of Future movie? Past. Because I think Days of Future Past is going to be a lot of table clearing because I'm not sure that they are going to have the efficiency that would be needed to pull this sort of defined by absence thing. But Listen, I Wolverine really rode on a bullet train with his claws. All of these fucking movies are downhill from there, all right? <laughs> Just the slow slide to the bottom. I wept that at that moment. That made me come to tears. <laughs> Thank you.
so this weekend, along with uh, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, comes The Protector 2, which is the sequel to the Thailand action film starring Tony Yaa. Uh, the Protector, and for some reason, along with Tony Yaa, uh, RZA is in this movie, and it is RZA's second movie in within a month's time. He also appears in Brick Mansions along with Paul Walker. Um, I just think this is hilarious because RZA, not a great actor, not the best actor. I've ever <laughs> I thought you were just going to end it with because RZA, uh, because not RZA. not a great filmmaker either. If, uh, no, if you're keeping no, score not a great home. filmmaker. But uh, certainly someone who has an ambition to be an actor. He really loves movies. I mean, this guy, having spoken to him for in some films, I, I, he loves kung fu and he just loves the cinematic language. Uh, but maybe, maybe he just needs to love it from afar. But anyway, because he has two movies coming out, I challenge you guys to a RZA trivia, a um, RZA movie trivia. And all you guys have to do, yes, back and forth, back and forth here. You're going to name the movies, and I'm going to tell you what RZA does in them. Um, I don't think this is going to be that difficult, but we should, you know, scan RZA's filmography here. Uh, he, he all right, he has, to it. he has to physically be in it? He has to physically – he's going to physically be in the movie, yes. And I'm going to tell you his role, and you're going to tell me the movie. Um, to, to decide who goes first, well, I don't know. Who wants to go first? Oh God, I, me, I please. Think I think I think the first one will be easier, so I'll go first. Okay, oh, perfect, no. perfect. All right. Dave, in this movie, Riza eats breakfast with Jizza before meeting one of his favorite actors. I know. Uh, <laughs> no stealing, no stealing. Oh god, I don't know. Cloud know. black and white. No, right. why, no. No, why are you doing this? <laughs> Okay, you, I, you didn't get it. You didn't get it. He, David he wasn't was the, the answer. Was, was Coffee he and cigarettes. Yes. Oh, by Jim you're Jones. right. He wasn't in uh, So, David, your another... question is, in this movie, Rizza plays a character named Blacksmith who fights ninjas with his big metal hands. Is it the man with the iron fist? It is indeed. <laughs> oh, God, the second one was the easier. I should have gone a second. Oh, you had the choice. I All did. right, Dave. In this movie, Riza appears um, as a studio, a music studio producer who is uh, defibrillated before having Repo heart... Man. <laughs> you didn't let me finish. I love that movie. Before having his heart reclaimed by the government. Yes, it's Repo Man. It's, it's my second favorite remake of Brazil. <laughs> What's your first favorite? Brazil. Oh, okay. Uh, um, David, in this movie, Riza stars as a TSA luggage scanner who discovers Robert Downey Jr.'s stash of drugs. Oh, it's that fucking yep. Todd Phillips movie. Um, yep. Oh, balls. What was it called? Uh, it's not a hangover fuck, movie. No, no. It's the fuck, he's fucking with the other one. Zach, Zach Galifianakis. And they got Definitely a drive. There. He's in it. Yep. It's called like... The not the it's like mm, it looks so bad. It was supposed <laughs> to be so bad. I don't know if you're gonna get this one, David. It's it's called like not like road trip, but like it's oh, some oh, ge okay. generic uh, title. It's like yep. Dave, tell him what it is. It's due date. Yes, it due is. date. It's due oh date. yeah, I forgot. I wouldn't have got the pregnancy famous. angle. I forgot about that. Yeah, I can't stop thinking about pregnancy. In this movie, Dave, Rizza yes. plays a Christmas tree salesman who pretends to be an angry black man when he's really just a nice black man. A very fun Christmas movie. Recent, obviously, because Rizza is in it. Uh, okay, recent Christmas movies. Um, not a whole lot of options. It's not animated. Um, it's not. It's partially animated. 
Oh, Harold and Kumar, <laughs> 3D Christmas? Yes. Yeah. Congrats, congrats. Dave, Partially in animated. Movie, in this movie, Riz appears as a drug dealer who could uh, who could hook Russell Crowe up with some fake passports, but he doesn't wanna. He could hook <laughs> Russell Crowe. He could. Russell Crowe wants some fake passports. Riz has got him. He's a drug dealer, but he doesn't really want to give him fake passports. Russell Crowe. Yeah, it's not. It's not Les Mis. This is not Man with the Iron Fist. The the second collaboration between. Oh Russell yeah, he Crow was in that. That's Rizzo. right. Um... <laughs> this is the first time that they've collaborated. They're very close friends. Apparently. Oh man. This uh... is directed by someone you definitely hate. Written and directed oh, right. by someone you loathe. I know that's not really. <laughs> Slimming yeah, it down. Yeah, you, you gave Dave some good hints, and I feel like made by someone I don't like. It's not really narrowing you... <laughs> the field very much. This is to- okay. I'll give you. I'll give you a huge hint. Elizabeth Banks is in this movie. Elizabeth Banks. You are it's, not going to. It's guess. not. It's not the Hunger Games or Walk of Shame or fucking <laughs> classic Elizabeth Banks, Russell Crowe, and Riza movie. Uh, you're not going to get it. Directed Wait, hang by on. Paul yeah, Haggis. give me one second. Paul Haggis. Oh, directed by Paul Haggis. You're it's, never uh, going to get it. No, no. If it's directed by Paul Haggis, I will get there. It's not – it's got to be – it's not Crash. It's not In the Valley of Ella. It's not third person. <laughs> There's it's, no hope for you. You're, you're extending the mini segment too long. It's the next okay. three days. You did not oh. get it. Oh, fail, fail. All right, Dave. <laughs> final one for you. In this movie – Ghost Dog, The no. Way of the Samurai. Ah, incorrect. Damn it. Uh, I should take that answer. Yeah, you should. To you it. should have to. Uh, in this movie, Riza runs a meat counter at a supermarket, and he breaks it to Seth Rogen that he ain't falling. Oh, oh Seth Rogen? That's got to be funny. That's people. the easiest question <laughs> ever. <laughs> Man, I have seen a lot Ghost of Riza Dog. movies. He did say Ghost Dog, so I may have to deduct that in the end. Okay, I David, think, your last yeah. question here. Ghost is, Dog. Uh, <laughs> Damn it. No ghost dog. Too easy. Um, mm. In this movie, Riza has poofy eyebrows and instructs Storm Shadow in the way of the sword. Uh, is poofy eyebrows really big poofy eyebrows? Ghost and, Storm Shadow. Storm Shadow. Yeah, that's the hint. Is this an is this an X Men movie? No, no, no. not I an X Men. I meant GI Joe. I meant GI Joe. Trivia that Dave dominates. Not many trivia rounds has Dave dominated. But it's when it it's not a GI Joe movie. I'm not saying if it is or not. Is it? Is it fucking GI Joe Retaliation? It, it is. is. I know it is. It is. I know it is. <laughs> I just it just came back to me. I know that they, the whole the scenes in like the fake dojo. <laughs> it's true, but three to two, uh, Dave, Dave prevails here. Congratulations, Dave! I've uh, seen more RZA movies than I thought I did. You win a cameo in RZA's next movie. Yes, or how about can I just get that Wu Tang album, the single copy? <laughs> That'd be enough. It depends. The uh, Jizza has to finish making it or something. RZA's like really pissed. Oh shit! You get to watch every episode of RZA's new television show, Gang Related. Sometime yeah. on Fox before it's canceled. This week for segment three, we're going to be talking about why I guess I'm not on the review segment for uh, Spider-Man 2 review, the amazing Spider-Man 2 review, uh, which will be coming down the pike this Friday. Uh, and it, uh, it goes back to the fact that I 
you know, no, I mean, part of the reason I'm not in the review segment is because I refuse to see this fucking movie. Uh, but that's what I did. That's the primary That is the primary part. But, like, but what we're going to be talking about is what I did instead of see this movie in order to sort of be up to speed and really ensure that I wasn't going to see it and confirm that I wasn't missing anything was to read, because the film has been out in Europe for a few weeks now, the very thorough Wikipedia plot summary. Which is something uh, that I have been doing over the past few years when it comes to movies that I know I, uh, you know, don't – won't having won't have to see for work and certainly don't want to see uh, recreationally. Uh, and usually these are horror sequels because I find that the plot synopses on like the new Paranormal Activity film, for example, tend to be especially entertaining. Uh, really, you know, there, there are a lot of films – like that, that I, I have taken to in my its own sort of pleasure, and I taken sort of lament two? the fact. Taken two, I, I've uh, <laughs> I've not read the Wikipedia summary for Taken Two. Highly, uh, I, I know, but I, I have, have to. Yeah. I feel like I pretty much get the gist. <laughs> um, but there are, uh, you know, and I lament the fact that some of the people who are, write these things are better than others. Some are too thorough. Some are not thorough enough. It's uh, it's, it's difficult to find like the, that, that happy medium. You're critiquing the the prose of Wikipedia. <laughs> I don't know who these people are who uh, take it upon themselves. Not to quite do novelizations, this, but, but right. But I do think it's. Uh, um, an interesting it, it's it's it ha, it, it's definitely discouraged me from i mean there there're not many scenarios where i would have seen the new paranormal activity to begin with but um whatever that new paranormal activity film might be it, you know whatever but um uh it certainly i guess discouraged me from the, the 1% chance of you know that I actually would see it but i think there's some real entertainment to be gotten from this um i I yeah, we just wanted to as, pat, as a know, proponent as shoot it around. Not not many episodes ago, you were a proponent of uh, cinephiles indulging or at least enjoying or trying to understand culture based yes. on these major blockbusters that many people were writing yes. off. How is this possibly appropriate with that thinking? Because I mean, I I made it clear, and I think that certainly my track record of actually having to see a lot of the movies that I wind up hating is. Uh, also made it clear that I tend to live up to, to that uh, credo. Hey, I see I do... eight out of the ten movies I hate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see, I see most of the most of the garbage that, that comes out there, and I can't, you know, say with uh, without. Uh, yeah, I can't say with one hundred percent certainty that the movies I don't see are garbage. But I did feel as if the Spider-Man franchise that exists only for Sony to retain the rights of the films so that they didn't revert back to Marvel. Uh, is in a category of its own that it, it simply defies. It, it would. It's an insult to us that it exists. And uh, as somebody who wastes more than enough time of their own fleeting life to begin with, I, I really felt like this was beyond the pale and uh, not something that even if uh, we end up saying some nice things about it in our review segment, which uh, I can't say for sure that we will, but maybe. Um, I I felt like this was. Just something that I didn't have time in my life for. And uh, the Wikipedia page, I read it at a bar. I read it about five minutes Jesus. or less. And it was uh, it was very entertaining. And uh, I felt like with all the footage that has been released, uh, it was very easy for me to match uh, the scenes that I've seen in the commercials and the trailers and whatever to the plot description and uh, have a pretty vivid picture of what this film is like and plays like in my head. I feel like I'm not going to find an ally in Dave. Uh, going against you on this one and, and seeing this as something horrible. 
Uh, well, see, here's the thing: is it's hard for me to say with new movies, both by the nature of what Wikipedia is, and by the fact that it sort of sounds like David looked up something to hate, which you know is fine. It's just not a way I would deal with new movies. But like he said, he sees other movies. It's not like it's his job to see superhero movies. I would never Wikipedia the new Amazing Spider-Man, but I would never want to. But what I do do, but I do do. <laughs> Already. Uh, what I have done is um, Wikipedia all the Final Destination movies so I could scrub through them on streaming services and just watch the deaths since I know that that movie's just basically like you avoid death and then death catches up with you. So I don't know why I need to know who these people are or what they're talking about. And I don't know if that makes me a bad person. What does make me a bad person is I've told people I've seen all the Final Destination <laughs> movies. Do you ever I, is it ever an honest mistake where because of the fact that you've read the Wikipedia page and you know have a pretty strong familiarity with the franchise that you sometimes confuse yourself into thinking that you have seen these movies? Uh, I don't confuse myself, but oftentimes I'll just shoot off at the mouth and not bring up the fact that I'm going off of wiki knowledge slash seeing, you know, 15 total minutes of a 90 minute movie and i won't i have been caught by someone who actually wanted to talk about details of the movie who, um, who, would, want, who would want to talk about details of a final well, like, destination I mean, movie the last final destination movie is actually a flashback and there's also it's sure, well, spoiler alert it's so satisfying you just ruined one of the great twists in uh, modern cinema Oh, I guess in a segment <laughs> about wiki watching you shouldn't be uh, too worried about that but i mean the point being is that they wanted to talk about specific details in the film, and I had to be like, oh, no, I just read that, that you know, there's a movie ticket or something. And I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I see what Dave's, David's talking about with uh, horror franchises and, uh, I mean, superhero films I think would also be okay. Like, I would rather David just watch the Avengers movies and Wiki the movies in between if he thinks he's going to not be able to hate four movies in a row and still <laughs> want to see the Avengers. Like, that makes total sense to me. But it's so, like, like, it's also, it's it says, I mean, and again, this is like a very subjective um, analysis that's been filtered through years of being dissatisfied and sort of annoyed with these movies. But, you know, I think that you could read even the most thorough Wikipedia summary of something like Under the Skin and not really have anything that approaches the experience of seeing the movie. Whereas... Uh, I felt and – again, and again, this comes from seeing so much of the movie inadvertently through uh, marketing materials that simply reading a rather detailed plot synopsis of what happens in Spider-Man, I wasn't – I wasn't missing out on too much. Although I will say that Dave and Matt pointed out that uh, one of the things that didn't come across through the Wikipedia summary is the batshit insane <laughs> score uh, where the uh, Electro's thought process is actually spoken word – part of the part of the score uh, yeah yes. I, I don't know if that's pharrell so, or johnny marr or who it is but yes it's opera it's like internal monologue <laughs> opera it's, it's zany and that's so you're exactly. never gonna get the you're never gonna get the whole the whole story but i did feel like uh i did feel like i was getting enough of it that i i didn't have to you know take the time out I of will, my life to see the movie i will say this just aligning with you on one point um Back in February, the remake of Endless Love with Alex Pettifer came out. And um, I really tried to find the – it's based on a movie from, God, I don't know, uh, like the 70s. Um, it's not coming to me. But I couldn't find it. I wanted to see it so that I knew I could 
compare and contrast. Uh, and this movie was not available on streaming or even available to rent anywhere. I could not find a copy of it. Um, so I had to read the Wikipedia page, and it's quite thorough, and it's telling me all the ups and downs and the weird twists and the character traits and tropes. Um, and that did the job. I knew exactly what happened in that movie that was like its remake, and I, not that I would ever comment or write about it, but I had that knowledge going in, and I, I found the film more fascinating. Because well, that's not much of a secret that the Wikipedia page is for you know, films we're writing about, films – you know, ostensibly we've seen or films that we need uh, either a refresher course on or whatever, you know, is invaluable to modern film writers. Uh, you know, I, I, I can only imagine how <laughs> You're difficult... making air quotes, right? When you – modern film writers? <laughs> well, no, I mean, I mean I think I can only imagine, uh, you know, when you're – especially when you're writing stories that are about a number of films and, and details um, that you didn't – you don't have at your disposal – Filmmakers from uh, film writers from an earlier generation, you know, really had to. Uh, they were in a tough spot, and um, would either have to, you know, f arrange a private screening for some of these films, or, or would inevitably make mistakes in their. Uh, Alcord audiences were a lot, or readers rather, were uh, harped a lot less on uh, little faux pas and, and plot summaries than they would now because they can always double check what the, the truth of the matter was and say, ah, yeah. ah, Conan, you know, with the, you know, pushing your glasses up. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly an invaluable tool and it was really interesting for me, uh, to watch it sort of cross that divide between being an invaluable tool to writing about movies that I'd already seen to, I mean, we haven't gotten to the point where I'm, I'm using it, uh, you know, frequently to write about movies that I haven't seen, but uh, it went from being a valuable tool for writing about movies I have seen that would never to be being a, a, right? a substitution for seeing movies that I haven't seen. You would never do that. You would never comment on a movie. I would never I mean, you do, do that, it, but <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't do it in, in if I were if the piece were giving the impression that I had seen the film and were like well versed. But in that's it, what but... I don't understand about advocating for wiki watching because. Why would any? How would anyone benefit from this? We're advocating for the Sparknotes culture to, well, to me, just like, like have the knowledge of a movie so that you can pass in conversation. Like well, when the movies talk. when the movies themselves uh, have gone out of the way to prove to you that there's not much to them beyond the knowledge of having seen them, um, there's uh, you know again it's not a substitution for anything. I'm not going to hop. I'm not going to go on Twitter and, and talk as if I've seen. The Amazing Spider-Man 2, I think we made it clear that it's just not going to happen for me. But um, And so, you know, advocating is a strange word. I just think uh, it, it's interesting to me that you can't – I mean, and what the what the experience gives you. I mean, not all films have uh, strong Wikipedia entries, but um, it, it's become almost uh, – it was like with the last Paranormal Activity film. I remember opening weekend, I was actively excited – in sort of a, a latent way for, for uh, somebody to update the Wikipedia page. Like that was an event in and of itself for me, not actually going to see the movie. But reading someone in plain English try to make sense of it. <laughs> uh, and like that – if that – if I know from my experience with the franchise enough of what the movie is going to be and can make an educated guess that it's going to be more entertaining for me, I'm going to get more out of it, reading what somebody has to write about it, uh, you're trying to make sense of it, that I am going to see the actual movie, then, then you know, it's a – Form of diversion right. unto wonder, itself. I wonder if Primer would be the cult classic it is today if people couldn't like reread the whole movie in wiki <laughs> prose form to just like not not what look at a diagram or people analyzing Primer, but to just like read through the timeline of events based on a Wikipedia page. I have a big picture question. 
is that what you're talking about? Is that criticism? Is that like self interaction where you just have to find something to engage because you need to bring that out of you after, you know, seeing something. Cause that I think is great. What I mean, the interesting thing about what David's talking about is the difference between him and me is I don't really wiki things that are new on like a release schedule. Like if I care enough to know what happens, I care enough to VOD it or wait or whatnot. But what I do wiki like ahead of time is stuff like Game of Thrones spoilers. Oh my god, I would never. <laughs> but see, but for me, it's interesting to see with like an adaptation or something like that, or like before an episode of Hannibal, I'll go wiki Red Dragon again or the book Hannibal, so I know like where the vergers fit in and what they're changing. That I think is, I feel is very different than you see something like Primer and you go back to the wiki page because no one is going to talk to you about Primer because you're the nerd in your town. It's That's so strange to think that, like, you're looking for annotations. I mean, to not watch Red Dragon just to sift through the Wikipedia page. You have such a fascination with Thomas Harris and the movie adaptations. I would have expected yeah. you to have seen all this as part of your... Your interest well, I mean, provoked I by the series to watch these movies, but now it's I, too I, easy for you because of Wikipedia. Well, I mean, I have seen it, but I don't have the time for, like, a rewatch. I guess my question would... It's like, okay, I consider myself a pop culture critic, not necessarily, like, a film critic, because as a pop culture critic, I could run around and wiki things on my periphery, and it's not any sort of cheating because I'm talking about how it interacts with its audience... I'm not necessarily talking about how it's interacting as a film within itself. I would never, you know, I, to me, when we're talking about like the modern film writer, you know, has the benefit of looking back to, you know, get uh, um, summaries of hard to find films. It, you know, back at, before the internet, you were just SOL and that's how you knew whether or not you're a good enough film critic is if you had the knowledge to reach into, you but know, But I mean, I would do the same. Well, it's, I mean, that's not, that's not, I don't know if I'd say that's much of a criteria for being a good film critic is having, you know, a particularly excellent memory. I think uh, it's also an appreciable skill to be able to use the, uh, you know, the primers that are offered by Wikipedia pages, the refresher courses in a, meaningful way to deploy that information that you remember by virtue of reading a summary on wikipedia um in a way that makes it read as though you are still have like a very you know in-depth opinion on that film and and um can manipulate the information in in ways that are helpful right so i guess it, it would be it would depend on if i felt like if it was cheating or not I'm, i am using air quotes there listeners um if what you're trying to portray yourself as like david you said you never portray yourself having seen a film if you were using wiki writing but uh, like i would i feel bad that i don't rewatch red dragon or manhunter every time i have these questions because i'm missing something someone could tell me what the scene is but i could be missing the subtextual thing which is what brian fuller's pulling on for hannibal or i could miss the paragraph that becomes the game changer in Game of Thrones because I'm working like I don't know off someone's summer. It's it seems like when you commit to wiki watching a movie, you're also committing to your level of engagement with it. I just I wonder mm. if Wikipedia has pushed us to be more plot driven as as the ah this is that's the an internet, interesting question. This is the internet as the whole, just like our the ease 
of finding knowledge or, or finding the information that we need. Like, what is Amazing Spider-Man 2 about? Well, I can just look it up on Wikipedia. I don't actually have to see the movie. Um, or if you do, you're, you're just like, you want to know the information, uh, and it's so easy to find. I don't know. I wonder if it's pushed us to be more plot-driven. You can't get that kind of information from the internet very often. What, what can be gleaned from a film visually or subtextually, as you were saying, David, but um, that's certainly what we're accustomed to digesting on the internet. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to me that David and I both do horror movies because it would seem like that's a genre that totally depends on the execution of the stuff. Right. So it's odd that we both feel completely fine that, you know, we read about Is that just because you want to know, like, activity for what's, what's really happening? Yeah, I mean, I think I it's actually... The jump scares and the flashy I think bullshit. That's a, just tell me. I think that's a really... I think, Dave, that's a really good point. I think, Patches, you're pretty much on the money as to why... That happens. I think for me, as someone who it's it's interesting that like I wouldn't do that for like I don't know if there was an a equivalent. History. If yeah, exactly, I wouldn't do that for. I mean, oh, well, I wouldn't do it if there was like a contemporary version of The Shining or something like that. But it's like I feel uh, a certain animosity towards jump scares. But how would you uh, know if there was a that, modern Shining? Uh, well, or not? I think because I mean I think just well, that, here we go. That's Wikipedia the thing page. though. Is that well, no, but that's the thing is that the you know the marketing makes it very transparent, and so it's two things. It's one, I know that paranormal activity, whatever, is going to be uh, overly reliant on jump scares, and that's really just what the film is is a mechanism of delivering those. And two, um, the you know the the marketing has so obviously obscured what's happening in the story. I mean, it just you know this jump scare and that jump scare, uh, and you're like you know you know it just it feels like a it's so resistant to my interests and yet I want to see through the bullshit exactly as you said. Like I want to know how far removed the reality of what this it's movie is is from its representation. And uh, and so, yes, what David's saying is spot on that the horror movie is so dependent on the experience of watching it um, as opposed to some of these superhero movies. But um, I think when that experience doesn't satisfy you and you know exactly what because the films are making no attempt to hide it what kind of experience the film's going to deliver it's that much more inviting to read the wikipedia wikipedia page for it and uh this might be a weird jump in logic but i i I worry about how the internet distills movies and performances um and wikipedia is one version of that. It's distilling down into plot, and people can get that information. I'm, I'm currently looking at the poster for Adam Sandler's Blended, which comes out in May, which will definitely be a horrific comedy where they go to Africa or something. Who cares? But you might want to read the Blended Wikipedia page to see what nutty stuff happens so you can make fun of it. Um, but something that occurred to me recently is the performances of Nicolas Cage, uh, Nick Cage is an actor we've respected for a long time, but became a meme not in you know in the past five or seven years. Um, starting maybe not starting with, but certainly intensified by his work in The Wicker Man and the bees, oh the bees, uh, and that became a YouTube video and that became a meme, and now that's all there is left to that movie, which is weird. And that's not. I mean, not in my eyes. I know what you're saying is true uh, in a broader sense, but uh, there are so many things happening in that movie that it's <laughs> there definitely are, but like, to I see rewatched it. it the other day, and I'm glad I sat through the whole thing because it's so fucking bonkers. And I wish it hadn't been distilled down to just the bees 
moment because there's so much weirdness in that that you need to see Nick Cage perform. And when I saw him again in Joe, I'm like, there's so much weirdness here. I would be scared to see it kind of condensed into one Nick Cage meme. And Wikipedia is like that in a different way. It's just our, it's the Internet's quickest um, way to get you the piece of information so that you don't have to actually experience it. And I don't know. It seems like a gateway drug to bad movie watching. To <laughs> well, kind of- I think it, it preys upon – You know, I'm sure there's some comic book where uh, – or pretty much every comic book where there's some drug and if you're one kind of person, it has this effect on you. And if you're another kind of person, it has that effect on you because no, while a lot of people – Amazing Spider-Man too. Yeah, because while a lot of people – We'll watch that Nicolas Cage video, you know, circa 2007 or whatever it was, and be like, haha, this is like, it's fun laughing at Nicolas Cage, this is all I need. I, as a lot of people did, found it absolutely hilarious, but for me, it made the movie, seeing the movie and grappling with it as a whole, absolutely irresistible, which is a really funny counterpoint to, um, the funniest Nicolas Cage scene ever out of context is the – well, it's really a super clip of scenes from Vampire's Kiss, uh, especially that amazing scene where he's like going A, B, C in the <laughs> office through the whole yeah. outfit. And then I saw Vampire's Kiss and I can never really find it that funny anymore because the movie is one of the most genuinely disturbing portraits uh, and unflinching ones as well of schizophrenia that I've ever seen. And um, you know the the – I saw the clip and was like, I have to see more of this and reckon with it as a whole. And, um, you know, you know, in doing so, I may not be able to find that video funny anymore, uh, although I still think I understand why other people do because I, you know, cried laughing so hard the first time I saw it. But uh, I think that, you know, I don't think what Patch is saying is not true. I just think that um, it doesn't really it, – it, it very quickly delineates what kind of – film viewer you are not that you know there's a hierarchy to it where some forms are better than others but i just think it does uh, help you sort of figure out you know and I, I don't think that the movies are this sacred thing where everyone needs to see all of them and and needs to uh, i mean I, I think it's helpful for cinephiles as like we said a few weeks ago to have an understanding as to what blockbuster movies were like in our present day um if only to be able to talk about them and understand changes uh, in the future but uh, yeah, I, I don't really feel like I'm betraying the medium that I love by any, in any capacity by just reading the summary of Amazing Spider-Man 2 or Paranormal Activity, the marked ones. I feel like this is all just ultimately costing Leonard Moulton books. Oh sales. my god, I was just thinking the same thing. That's crazy, yes. About Leonard Moulton? Does Leonard Moulton yeah. still put out his 1001 whatevers or like... These big tomes oh, of yes. just Oh, yes, he does, synopses. but who's buying them? If you buy one of these books, please call our voicemail and tell us why you keep buying Leonard Maltin's book. Nice guy, super nice guy, but um, that book is obsolete, right? I guess you get, oh, you get a little rating. He, he reviews it in those books. That's why. All right, that's it for this week's Fighting in the War Room. Uh, We'll be back later this week with a review of The Amazing Spider-Man. Dave will be there. I will be there. David will not be there, but he'll be reading the Wikipedia page somewhere in a dark room. Uh, And probably some guests, hopefully, that either love or hate this film. Um, But that's it, so let's tell people where they can find us on the Internet. Oh, wait, I go first. I'm Matt Patches. Um, I write on the Internet. 
Find all my work at mattpatches.com. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And remember, we have fightinginthewarroom.com where you can find all the episodes. You can find Dave's cool podcast that he's doing that we're throwing in the stream now about super spoilery Game of Thrones. And uh, all of them have share buttons and comments. We just want people to engage. And people have been leaving some amazing comments recently. So you can do it there on fightinginthewarroom.com. I'm David Ehrlich. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich and at Criterion Corner. Uh, and you can find me writing on websites like The Dissolve and uh, The Onion's AV Club. And you can find all of us together on Facebook at Fighting in the War Room, where we will talk to you if you say things. And my name's Dave Gonzalez. I spell that first part D-A-7-E, though it's pronounced Dave, because come on. And that's also my Twitter handle. I write about superhero movie news at latino-review.com. It's going to be a very spidery week over there. Um, you should call us and leave us a voicemail if you are buying Leonard Maltin's movie guide. Because we're not getting that many Nick Cage impressions. And unless you keep calling, Katie's not going to change the outgoing message so it actually says fighting in the war room. So call right now. She's at a wedding. She won't pick up. 914-410-6450. Especially if you buy a Leonard Maltin movie guide. And you can also find all of us on Twitter at FITWR. That's for fighting in the war room. And answer this week's lightning round question in honor of the walk of shame. Which is what movie do your friends give you shit about liking and, and uh, uh yeah that's that's, that's the podcast yeah, I get, oh, geez, oh we god don't, we, don't, we gotta uh, stick the landing how do we uh, without katie Let's see.